Our reading this morning is Matthew chapter 19, verses 16 through 30. Just then, a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied. There is only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Which ones? He inquired. Jesus replied, You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother, and love your neighbor as yourself. All these I have kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? Jesus answered, If you want to be perfect, go, sell your possessions, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad, because he had great wealth. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I tell you, it is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Peter answered him, We have left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses, or brothers, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and many who are last will be first. This is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. My father-in-law pastored for more than 60 years, if I have my numbers right. I think it probably was 65. And um, he no longer is a pastor. He's uh, retired. And so he doesn't have a church that he can preach at, but he continues to preach. Almost every time we go down there, he's preaching about something. Um, but that, that's nothing unusual. My father-in-law preached all the time to his family. He had four girls. And uh, on one occasion, he said, when we were all gathered together, he said, if you don't None of you know my father-in-law, Sam Miller, but he's got this trumpet kind of voice, and people love to make fun of it. Um, And I'm actually going to do my best to uh, imitate it for the next couple of lines. He said, kids, I want you to know something. Of course, you have to listen because his voice is so loud. He said, I've prayed all my life that none of you would be rich. And, and one of his daughters said, Dad, what an awful prayer. You're praying for us to be poor. And as I remember it, he said, Nope, not praying for you to be poor. Just don't want you to be rich. Because I've seen too many people ruined by money. 
And finally, one of his grandchildren piped up and said, Grandpa, you can stop praying because your prayers have been answered. (laughs) And his response was, well, there's a lot more living to be had, so I'm going to keep praying. My father-in-law was worried about money. He was worried about having enough. He never made hardly any. But he did very well with what he had. And he was also worried that his kids would have too much. Because he knew that wealth can ruin you. And I think that's probably the best summary of what Jesus said in this passage to his disciples. When this young ruler, rich man, came to him and said... Lord, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus went through the litany, and then the young man basically says, did that. And Jesus said, well, one more thing. Just take everything you have and sell it. And then you'll find treasures in heaven. Did Jesus really mean he wanted the man to be a pauper? I don't think so. I think what Jesus meant was, Something's got a hold of you, young man, and you've got to let it go, or you can never enter the kingdom of heaven. We're on our fifth lesson on the way to the cross, and it's interesting that the fifth lesson is a lesson about money. Actually, Jesus talked a lot about money, a great deal. But why do you suppose? Well, I think first... uh, One of the reasons Jesus talked about money so much is because our relationship as human beings is more than with God, right? It's not just vertical, up and down. It's horizontal with people. And Jesus says, I want to take something that everybody understands, which is horizontal living, And I want to remind you of two things. First of all, you need to be careful about money in your horizontal living. And second, you need to be careful about money when it comes to your vertical relationship with God. I think the second reason Jesus mentioned uh, words so many times about money is because really it's not so much money as it is the heart. Remember when Paul was admonishing Timothy as a young pastor, he said the love of money, not money itself, but the love of money is the root of all evil. So Jesus wants us to remember that where our treasure is, that's where our heart is also. And he wants us to worry that our treasure is not money. I think the third reason that Jesus speaks so much about money is because he knows that it has the power to attach us, not just the money itself, but the money has the power to attach us to material treasures. Why? Because that's what we use money for. Money can buy almost anything. Lots of money can buy the world. I mean, think of it. Here's just a list of things that 
that money can buy. Money can buy you friends. Oh, you say, well, they're not really good friends, but you know what I mean. It can buy you friends. Money can buy you affection. Maybe not real affection, but affection. Money can buy you popularity. There's no doubt about that. Money can buy you sex. Money can buy you power. It can buy you flattery. It can buy you stuff. And you know what else it could buy you? It can buy you silence. Money can be used to pay people off for all of the above. It's powerful, isn't it? No wonder Jesus thought it was so dangerous. So let's consider a couple of things related to money and treasures. The first thing related to money and treasures is this. Material treasures, which is where we get, what we get from our money, material treasures, focus on things that evaporate. Right? We know that. Material treasures focus on things that evaporate. When I was 16 years old, I bought my first car. It wasn't a grand car, but I loved my car. It was a 1967 light blue Volkswagen Beetle. For those of you who don't know Volkswagen Beetles and their history, it was the first one with a 12-volt battery. And it was the last one with a curly bumper. I, I loved that car. I loved it because it was my first car. I loved it because it was a bug. But I also loved it because I could go anywhere in that car. I put really big wheels on the back, tires. 60s to be exact, if you know anything about that. And with those 60s on the back of my Volkswagen Beetle, I could go anywhere in South Florida. Now, if you know anything about South Florida, it's basically sugar sand. When you drive off the road, you might get stuck. I could drive on the beach with my Volkswagen bug. I loved that car. But you know what happened to the car? It started rusting. You know what else happened to the car? I had a wreck in it. And then I tried to get somebody to fix it. And you know what happens to old cars that are wrecked and you don't get new parts for them. They just rust even more. See, my point is, the only thing I had, which was very little, was money. And I bought that car... And it was possible that my affections, I don't think they were, but my affections could be too attached to that car and my affections were attached to something that rusted and something that could be destroyed or something that could destroy me. That's what money does to us when we buy anything we want. Don't you know that you have bought things in the past and looked back on them later and thought to yourself, why did I think that was the coolest, most important thing in my life? We all understand. 
Money buys things that are treasures for us, and then we have to worry about the treasures that we bought. We have to worry about thieves breaking in and stealing, as Jesus says, or rust overcoming them. That's a universal, completely human problem. But we use our treasures to focus on things that evaporate. We use our money also in such a way that we have treasures that can actually blind our spiritual vision. So not only does money give us treasures that are temporary and evaporate, money gives us treasures that actually blind us. It does. It does. You know it does. One of the sayings that Jesus uses uh, is a saying from the ancient civilization that he was a part of. He talks about eyes, and he says the eye is the light of the body. Did you ever wonder what was going on there, that image? Here's what it was. The ancients believed that the eye was the light of the body because light came through the eyes. And it sort of got into the body and gave it health. Now you might say to yourself, well, that's not quite the way we think of our body today. That's not the point. That's the way the ancients thought of the eye and light. Here's actually the point. The point is, is if you're in a house that has windows that are clouded by dirt or dust or anything else, light can't come clearly through those windows and illuminate things inside the house very well, can it? No, it can't. There's some sense in which money is like that. It's a veneer that clouds our eyes and creates for us spiritual blindness. We can't see clearly what is true and what is real because the eyes of our hearts are clouded with money. I was coming back from Louisville uh, last night, and it was pitch black. And you know what 46 is like coming in from Brown County. Lots of curves and lots of turns. And I hardly ever get frustrated with drivers. Um, You can laugh. That's not true. I always get frustrated with drivers on 46 going to Brown County or coming back. And, of course, I was making great progress until we came upon a car. And every time this car saw a headlight ahead of it, it slowed down. And I was getting more and more frustrated. And finally, I realized to myself, this is my compassionate side coming through. Well, well, I said to Brenda, maybe it's an old person. Right, I'm sorry if you... I know. I'm walking on really thin ice. Maybe it's an old person, and whenever the light shines in their eyes, they freak out and they can't see. And then I thought to myself, doesn't that happen to everybody? Especially when the light's on high beams, right? 
You can see, even in the dark, you've got your headlights, you can see the lines, you can see the trees, you know where you are. And then that car comes around the corner and its lights blind you. And you can't see very well. So just like the image of a clean or a dirty window gives us an insight into our souls because the light can come in, so too treasures, wealth, riches, they become like a bright headlight on a dark night. And thus, that light is so bright, we can't see. Our wealth is so enormous, our affections are so attached to things that it blinds us to spiritual reality. So first, the love of material treasures and money. It evaporates because those things go away. And second, love of material treasures can be a blind spot to our spiritual vision. But also love of material things and money. Let's be honest. Jesus would tell us in the rest of the scriptures, it blocks our devotion to God. That's why Jesus said to the disciples, following his conversation with the young man, he said, I want to tell you something. It's harder for a rich man to get through the eye of a needle than it is for a camel to get through it. A camel could squeeze through the eye of a needle easier than a rich man. Well, they, of course, were stunned for two reasons. One, because they thought wealth was a sign of the blessing of God. And two, because they couldn't imagine a camel going through the eye of the needle. Now I know there's a tradition that the camel goes through the eye of a needle underneath a gate, has to lay down flat, take all the belongings off the top. Maybe, maybe that's what Jesus is referring to. But that's not what I opt for. I think he was actually saying, it's impossible. Because of what follows. The disciples say, are you kidding me? That's not possible. And Jesus says, you're right, it's not possible. But everything's possible with God. Even a person who is so attached to material wealth, it seems like it eclipses their devotion for God completely, even though it is harder for them to get into the kingdom of God than for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. It's possible. Why is it possible? Because it's possible for us to change our hearts. It's possible that God can get so deep within us that our attachments and our affections are entirely related to Him. And everything we own is for Him. That's why it's possible, says Jesus. Now let me uh, say one more thing before I go to what Jesus would say is is the better way to live. And it's this. Whenever I approach a topic like this with you, it's likely that you, like me, are saying, oh, but that's not my problem because I'm not rich, right? It's that rich guy's problem over there, and we could name lots of them. 
But when we stop long enough, we realize that's not true. Because it's not about the amount of wealth you have or the amount of things you have. It's about the attachment of your heart to wealth and things. And this story is about all of us. All of us potentially are this rich young man. Every one of us. So we need to ask the question, what's the alternative? What's the other way to live? If in fact this can destroy you, what's the other way to live? Very simply, Jesus puts it this way. And you'll remember this from the Sermon on the Mount. He says in effect, don't worry about money. Instead, love the Lord your God. Don't worry about money. Love God instead. Don't worry about money because God is going to supply all your needs just like He does the birds of the air and the flowers of the field. Stop it already. Don't be attached to money or to things. Remember, your Heavenly Father is going to give you everything you need. You know that's true, right? But how hard is it to live that way? Very hard. It doesn't mean me lazy. It doesn't mean don't put away money for retirement. It doesn't mean any of those things. It means place your affections on God first and trust God for the rest. Because God's going to take care of you. You know, the alternative to loving God and not worrying about money is worrying about money. Even if you have lots of it, it'll consume your time. It'll consume your time because you're worried about people stealing it. It'll consume your time because you're worried that you don't have your numbers lined up correctly and you'll spend lots of money on accountants and lots of money on lawyers so they can watch your money. Notice the example that Jesus gives when he's talking about things. In the Sermon on the Mount, he talks about clothes and food. Is that like high living? No, we have to have clothes. We have to have food. He brings it all the way down to that level. and He says, don't worry about what you're going to wear or what you're going to eat. Not only do I not want you to worry about wealth, I don't even want you to worry about the next day. Those are proper affections. Food and clothing. I like them both. And I'm not going to give up on either. But he tells us that what we need to do is to take everything. I'm I wish I had an image of everything. 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 He says, take everything and devote it to me. That's one of the powerful parts of the Old Testament tradition of sacrifices. 
You took what was actually yours and you raised it up to God. So Jesus says, don't be dedicated to those things that you have in your hands. Be dedicated to me. And I'll take care of the rest. So here's some practical questions for you related to money and stuff. Question number one. It's really simple. Just think about it for a minute. How much of your time is spent gaining personal wealth? How much of your time is spent gaining personal wealth? Second question. What are you willing to go in debt for? That's a tough introspective question. What would you buy even if you didn't have the money because you would borrow the money to buy it? Third question. How much of your time in conversation revolves around things? Money and things. How much of your time in your conversation revolves around money and things. I got a lot of questions. Maybe one of them will hit home. <laughs> Another question. What do your actions say? Actions say things, right? What do your actions say that you value? What do your actions say that you value? Another question, and then a suggestion. What are your treasures? Let's call them idols. I think if Jesus were here, he would not want us to focus just in a singular way on the dollar sign. The issue was bigger than that. He was talking about treasures of the heart, whatever they are. So what are your treasures or your idols? Is it actually money? Just the gaining of wealth? Is it stuff? I mean, some people are willing to go in debt over their heads and have no money just so they can have stuff. Is it stuff? Is, is your treasure, your idol, your body? Think about how much time you spend thinking about it and investing in it. I know for some of us, not much. For others of us, a lot. Or is it possible that your treasure is actually your mind? How bizarre is that, Bob? Really not so much. 
We, we live in a community that is all about the life of the mind. Is it possible that as Christians, we are bowing down to the idol of intellect? I think it's possible. So there's a bunch of questions. Surely one of them will prick our conscience. But before I end, I want to give you a suggestion. Instead of just asking yourself any of those questions, ask your wife or your husband or your friend what they think the answer to that question is for you. And then, maybe you'll get the true answer. And then, maybe you can modify your heart. I almost never do this, uh, but Bill, I'm, you do a wonderful job of leading us in singing. I, I, wanted, I actually want to end with the song that we last sang. And uh, as I pray, and then you can come up and do that. I just, I love that song, Lamb of God. Worthy is your name. Because it places God at the highest level. And it says, I give everything up because your name is worthy. Um, And if we can, Bill, you're really good at this. See if you can get the women to do the antiphonal part when we get to it. Yeah. (laughs) Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we're so grateful for your word. It's living and active and sharper than a two-edged sword. It, It cuts right straight through us. So I pray, Lord, that this morning it will cut right straight through us, not not in a harmful way like a sword does in battle, but in a way that a surgeon does with a knife. We pray that you will lay open our hearts and help us to understand where our treasure is. We pray that you will open our eyes so that we can see ourselves the way you do and the way others see us. And then, Lord, as you stitch us back up, so to speak, give us the will to follow you as you have revealed what we need to do, give us the will to follow. In the name of Christ our Lord, we pray. Amen.